0: Hi, my name is Rituja, and this is Roti, Kapra, or Makan, where we talk about the basics of life, food, clothes, and the idea of home. When I first met Alpa, I wasn't sure where she was from. I was puzzled but curious. So today, let's travel with Alpa and trace her journey to Seattle. So I grew up in Dubai in the UAE.
1: I moved there when I was six months old. I was born in Sudan in Africa and I moved to Dubai uh, when I was six and then I stayed there till I was 18.
0: Alpa's family migrated from Sudan to Dubai because her dad had been offered a better job living in Sudan wasn't easy for Alpa's parents. One of the the most vivid stories I have that my
1: mom tells me is how she moved there from Bombay. She grew up a pretty upper-middle-class lifestyle in Bombay. Uh, And then when she moved to Sudan, she was telling me about these times when they would go get bread from the market. And they would have to scoop out the inside of the bread to be able to eat it because the inside would have like bugs and worms in it. (laughs) And she was so not used to that. And so their lifestyle in Sudan was much different, very much uh, lower middle class
0: than what she was used to. Mm -hmm. And so that was sort of hard for her when she first moved. Alpa has fond memories of the Dubai she grew up in. Thoroughly loved by her parents, surrounded by friends in an apartment building that she grew up in, Alpa enjoyed a normal childhood in Dubai. When I
1: was in Dubai, it was very different from what is now. Um, the tallest building at the time was 23 stories, and now that building is dwarfed by everything around it, right? So it was very, very different. It was more like a town than, than really even a city. Um... And there were so many Indians and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis that lived there that the Arabs would speak to you in Hindi, for instance, right? Um, And it's still true today. There's a lot of expatriates from there. And so when I grew up, you know, I felt like it was the best. I mean, it was it was very Indian and, you know, sort of our culture. And yet it was much more sort of easier lifestyle than living in India. So it was more we had air conditioned cars and not, you know, not a lot of traffic. And so very different from Bombay when I used to go there. But still, a lot of the, the, you know, the rituals and the traditions and all of that stuff was very active there. So it felt like it was just like India,
0: you know, not much different. Just another different, very nicer state of India. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Since the social atmosphere was so close to the same as being in India, our conversation soon moved to food. So, what are your favorite memories of food and fruits, or you know, anything edible, like when you're growing up?
1: A couple of things. There was a there's a a dish called ful, uh which is fava beans that are cooked, uh, and it's a very traditional Egyptian Middle Eastern dish. And I love ful. Mm-hmm. And um, in Dubai, there was a So, you know, the UAE is is sort of different emirates, different states. And one of the other states is called Sharjah. And the airport in Sharjah had the best fool in town, apparently. So Mm. we used to make the trek, which was maybe, it's not that, maybe 30 miles away, um, to go to the airport to have fool. And my parents were very... They kind of really did spoil us because they would, you know, if you wanted it, they would take us all the way there or, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of focus on doing things that, the sake of food. So we would go on picnics and people would cook a lot and bring it with them and stuff like that. But anyway, so they would take me to Sharjah for, uh, to eat fool, uh, which was my favorite fool. And then when I moved to Jeddah, there was a place in Jeddah that also had really good food, which was also far away that my parents would take me to. And so I think, you know, sort of some of the memories of trying to find the best fool outside of the Sharjah airport. We used to go and, and uh, look around a lot for that. Falafel, there was a a place in this one roundabout close to my house where we used to go and get falafel and just the smells of the shawarma, which none of us ate meat, but that association of the smell with really good falafel mm-hmm. <laughs> is what stuck in my head, right? But yeah, there, there was a lot of... Uh, you know, good Middle Eastern food that we ate a lot. And then Indian food was, you know, if we went out, it would typically be for South Indian food. Mm. Or like if my mom wasn't there and it was just my dad and, and the two of us, we'd go to um, Gujarati food. And so they had this mm-hmm. Gujarati restaurant where they would give you all you can eat, you know, like a traditional Gujarati thing. At that place, I used to ask for roti, but I would want it small and I'd want it uh, crispy, you know, karak, <laughs> gheezada, you know, and all of this stuff. So it had like, all these like variations on, on what I wanted and they would always appease me on all that. So it's yeah. kind of fun memories. You yeah. know, Dubai at the time was very innocent in that mm-hmm. way. So have you found the perfect food here in the United States? Have you looked for it? I've looked for it. Mm. So actually B&O Espresso on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. has good food.
0: Oh. I've had fool at uh, Mamnoon. So I feel like, you know, even though you grew up in Dubai for the most part, you identify mainly as a Gujarati mm-hmm. and an Indian. So how did do you think like food was a big part of keeping with that cultural identity? Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah. So to us, like if my mom cooked Gujarati food at home every day, if we went to people's homes or most of our friends were Gujarati or, you know, Sindhi or whatever, they would cook similar food. And also we had a lot of Pakistani friends, but that aside. But I think the, the, the main thing was, you know, I ate Gujarati food growing up almost every day. And if my mom wasn't around, like I said, my dad would take us to a Gujarati restaurant. So we were having Gujarati food. Most of the time that we were there, like even now, when I think about comfort food, you know, it's it's all Gujarati food, right? If I have good Gujarati food somewhere, I'm like, oh, my God, this is heaven. This is so (laughs) great. Living here, you find a lot of restaurants that are Punjabi restaurants or South Indian restaurants. You don't find Gujarati food. There was a restaurant here in Redmond that had it and they closed down. And so it's always been, uh, I think, that that idea of you know you can live in a place and you can try different things but what's what's cooked at home and what you know with the sense of of family and stuff that you have is all around what you eat at home mm-hmm. you know so i think food is uh, the memories are are all associated with you know gujarati food at home more than you know these sort of mm-hmm. other
0: things so what's your favorite comfort food
1: yeah, Gujarati food.
0: Like no, what? Specific oh, and then yes.
1: yeah.
0: I think I think <laughs> kitchadi is gonna win every time. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My 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 favorite one is like the super soft kitchadi with yes. a course like. A lot of ghee. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, ultimate comfort food. <laughs> yes. And I've made sure my kids also know that that's their comfort yes. food. Like if they're sick or something, my first option to them will be, even yeah. yeah. And you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> See, I love that. So that's exactly yeah. what, you know, when I was growing
1: up, it was the same thing, right? If, if I'm sick, it would be khichdi or it would be mug. We make mm-hmm. a lot
0: of mung. Dubai seemed like an ideal place to raise a family. Good roads, a variety of restaurants, close to India... But having heard so many things about the Middle East and its restrictions on women, I was intrigued about clothes. Growing up, what kind of clothes did Alpa have to wear?
1: In Dubai, even though Dubai was liberal, concert, you know, compared to other uh, countries in the Gulf, what we wore was still pretty conservative. We could wear skirts, but you know, they'd be below the knee, practically, and, and pants. Mostly I wore, if I was... Not at school, I wore shavar or pants with a, a shirt. At school, we had a uniform, a school uniform. And so it was easy.
0: So what was so the uniform?
1: It was a a navy blue skirt and a white top. But as I grew older at school, you know, we used to have the... There was a style of the skirt that you'd have to have, and it was pleated. But as we got older, we pushed some of the boundaries of that, and I started wearing skirts that were slightly shorter, maybe above <laughs> the knee.
0: I remember getting into trouble for that a couple of times, but I would still still do it. Somehow, when I think of the Middle East, I never think about the beach. So it was fabulous to hear the story from Alpa on how her family and relatives would dress up for the beach. Going to the beach, for example, there was lots of really nice beaches.
1: And you would see people that would wear like one-piece swimsuits uh, because there was a lot of expats from England and, and other places too. And so you would see... Some of that back then, um, but we would always have, like, full-on clothes, you know, going into the ocean and stuff (laughs) like that, And so, but we'd wear lighter ones, you know, it would be like, okay, so I'll wear a black shirt so that it doesn't, you know, show anything, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be, like, silk, Mm -hmm. and so it's still, like, super clingy, you know, and stuff, it's crazy, Uh, and so, like, some of the pictures you'll see, it's like, you know, my uncles are wearing shorts, Uh, But all the women are wearing, you know, a shirt and like, you know, long Mm -hmm. pants and stuff and going in and stuff like this.
0: When Alpa finished her schooling, she decided to follow her brother to the United States to study. For a very young Alpa, it was quite the journey. So tell me about the first day that you came to America. Do you remember anything about that? I do. I do. I moved here when
1: I was 19 and... Actually, I spent a year between Dubai and here. I spent a year in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. So I came here from Jeddah. And it was a long flight. I flew from Jeddah to Houston, and then Houston to Phoenix. I remember when I landed in Houston, the sterileness and the smells. And also coming from Jeddah, which was, you know, I'd spent a year being very... Living a very, very sheltered life. You know, we couldn't go um, to the market without my dad being with us. You know, that kind of very... um, covering ourselves up uh so coming from that and coming to houston uh, and it was august and seeing everybody walking around in shorts and tank tops was was like really shocking and you know i had long pants on long shirt i had a sweater because i was going to be cold on the plane and so i felt pretty out of place in houston and also the accents i wasn't i couldn't understand what people were saying and then when I flew into Phoenix, I remember above Phoenix, because I know my brother was living there, and just watching from the sky, the lights, and, and going on forever, right? Like, Phoenix is so flat, and it was such a big city. It was very exciting.
0: So I'm, I'm intrigued by, your, by the usage of your word sheltered. Mm-hmm. Did it feel constricting, too? Or did oh, yeah. you add... It did. No, no, yeah, I, I yeah. should have
1: used... Maybe constricting is a better <laughs> but, word than sheltered because... But no, but I think
0: sometimes, different. you know, when when you're in that situation, and especially if you've not known anything different, maybe sheltered was a word that, you know, you associated with, with immediately... Yeah, Uh, Because I think when when the contrast, when you can see the contrast, then you see, oh, that wasn't sheltered. It was constricting. And, you know, I wasn't getting everything that I needed to. I wasn't being protected too much. Well, let me actually, what I
1: think that the reason I used it in retrospect was because I wanted to say, like, in Houston, I felt out of place. I felt not sheltered. I felt sort of like, oh, shit. Because what I expected was, okay, I'm going to go from this sheltered environment to my brother, which is also very sheltered. But there was that Houston in between that didn't feel safe and it didn't feel safe in a very, it wasn't that I I felt I was threatened, but it was so alien Mm. and everything was so very different and I was so uh, unaccustomed to the accent or knowing my way around that I felt lost. And so I felt like I used the word sheltered in that first state because I wanted to talk about the contrast to Houston.
0: And Houston was just a transit point, right? Yeah, I was only there for like four hours. But it had a huge impact.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, especially because it was Houston, you know, yeah. like, everybody had like cowboy hats on, and it, it was very different.
0: Once Alpa landed in America, her brother was there to welcome her. Although Alpa was at home with her brother, everything else was new and overwhelming. She recalls the first time her brother took her out for brunch— I was used to eating, like, pizza and stuff like
1: that, which the first night I came in, we went out for pizza to Pizza Hut, which we had in in Dubai. We had a Pizza Hut at that time. So it didn't feel that different. But the next morning, for brunch, we went to a place called Coco's. It's a chain. I wanted to get an omelet, and so I tried to order an omelet, and then it was this long kind of list of, okay, so what do you want? Uh, How do you want your, you know... Oh, oh I said, omelet with no meat. And so she got that. And what kind of toast do you want? Do you want toast or do you want English muffin? Do you want fruit on the side or do you want this? And it was just such a long, complicated process. And my brother kind of just, you know, sort of dove in and, and mm-hmm. helped me out because I, I was like toast. Well, what kind of bread? And I didn't know any. I didn't even know what, what kind of bread meant. It was right. like just bread.
0: Yeah. Right. And so he just jumped in and um, helped me out. Ordering food was complicated. But then what about buying new clothes? Until now, Alpa had lived with her parents. Her clothes had been quite conservative, with a hint of defiance at times by wearing the skirt a little bit above her knees instead of below. Given this, buying shorts for the first time turned out to be quite the adventure.
1: So when I first came, it was hot not to walk everywhere. So at some point, you're like, this doesn't make any sense to wear long-sleeve shirts, right? Uh, So I would wear T-shirts and skirts most of the time. Uh, That was my first couple of months. And then it's really hot in Phoenix. And so my brother had said, well, you should go get shorts. And uh, a friend of his was like, oh, I'll I'll come shopping. I'll take you shopping for shorts. And so we go into this place, and he picks out a couple of shorts. I go try them on. They're cotton shorts. And they're super short, (laughs) right? And I wear them, and I'm like, man, these are short. He goes, no, 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 no. This is how it is. This is this Mm -hmm. looks looks great. Yeah, let's just buy these. And so I buy them. I go home, and my brother is just beside himself. Like he's like, what is this? You know, you don't have to buy shorts that you know because they're super short. And he said, why did you buy it? I said, you know, Himanshu said that it looked and. uh, He's like, I should have gone myself. But um, So then he took me to buy longer shorts. But
0: then I went to play volleyball the next day and I wore the short ones Uh uh, because I could. Quite the rebel. Somehow Alpa's story of the shorts led us to talking about saris because Alpa rocks the sari. I loved wearing a sari. So I wore my mom's
1: saris when I was even like six or seven years old. I would try to drape it around me and walk around and it would just start unraveling. (laughs) And I would trip on it and stuff. My grandmother's house in Bombay had a swing on their patio which was like a marble patio and uh, I fell from the swing and one of the reasons I fell was I was wearing my mom's sari and as the swing is coming down my foot tripped on the sari and so I fell down from the swing oh. and uh, I have a scar in my chin oh. to show for that.
0: You're wearing this um, beautiful black and gold chain in your neck. Um,
1: Do you always wear it? And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is a Mangal Sutra. It's uh, what we wear when we get married. It's like a wedding ring for Indian folks. Yeah, I wear it almost all the time. Uh, In 2008, I got married to my husband, Doug. When I went to India before that, I picked it out myself. And I really liked it. I wear it every day for two reasons. One, I really like it. And the other is because I'm lazy. I don't want it. (laughs) you know, change out, like, my jewelry every time. But it also has an additional effect of people being like, wow, she wears a Mangal Sutra every day. That's really nice. She must be a good wife. <laughs> so that
0: always helps. Alpa has quite the sense of humor. Our conversation with clothes continued. To fabrics, to labels, and how clothes are sourced.
1: I like clothes that feel soft, uh, either, like, cotton or silk. It's hard to find stuff that's not made in India or Bangladesh or Pakistan nowadays, right? So, like, one of my favorite stores is Lucky, Lucky Stores. And a lot of their clothes are, their tops are made in India. A lot of peasant-type things. And so... To me, I like it. My mom doesn't like it. She said, "Why should Why should I buy Indian clothes you know, here and pay so much when I can get better ones there?" So she is all on this quest of not, you know, buying. It. it has to be made in USA, but she hard for her to find it.
0: I I personally used to feel very proud when I saw that. I'm like, yeah, you know, these clothes are made in India, and you know, they're being offered here. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to have a very different effect when we went to India because I would take clothes from here, you know, as gifts mm-hmm. to India, and they would be like, "What? You guys have got us clothes made in India?" Yeah. You know, why we want something that says made in the USA. Yes. So that was very interesting. Because um the kids and I have a game too, like when we're walking or something, we look yeah. at the manholes. Yeah. And like ninety nine percent have India and that and we true. just feel like extremely proud at that. Yes. I'm like, yep, yeah, it came from India. <laughs> so so I, I personally have that, that kind of emotion when I see, you know, the label like made in India. Oh, made in see
1: now I have a different connotation to it when I see it because I feel like my first like especially if it's Bangladesh, I think about sweatshops and things like that. I'd read a New York Times articles about the manhole covers in India and the the state of the people that make them. To me it's those are more of the associations that I have. Um, and that's what I meant when I said like, this is the reality of the world we live in, mm. is that, you know, when the, where the labor is cheaper, that's where you'll find a lot of this manufacturing happening. Mm. And where the labor is cheaper, you, the people that are working in those factories are, are not treated as well. Yeah. But, you know, by the same token, you have this other side, which is, you know, there there is a lot of upward mobility in uh, India or Bangladesh or whatever from
0: some of these jobs going there, too. Right. So. Mm-hmm. As our conversation was winding down, we talked about Alpa's flawless American accent. Little did I know that there was a story behind that accent. A story of identity. A story of wanting to be accepted. A story of belonging.
1: I sounded very different when I came. Um, And the reason I know that is because... My brother sounds different. My cousins who grew up in Dubai sound different. And this is you know, one of the things where I feel like coming here and, and being friends with Anita, I think she was my closest friend. She grew up here, my sister-in-law grew up here. So both of them had American accents. And I think there was such a big drive for me to want to fit in that I altered the way I speak. And now it's like hard for me to even remember what my accent sounded like unless I listened to my brother. Speaking, I'm like, well, I guess I sounded like him, but it's... And I don't think I did it as consciously as I'm saying it even now. But in retrospect, I know that there was this need to fit in, especially as you go to places and people ask you to repeat something, right? Because they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And you feel in college, uh, the university, there was like 40,000 people. So there's was a huge population of students. The classes are 100 people big. And so even though I didn't grow up being shy... I was very shy on campus. But then it got even worse if I was trying to say something and people wouldn't understand. And so that made me feel even more isolated. And so I think now if I think back, you know, try to do a little bit of self psychoanalysis, I think it probably was the fact that I wanted to fit in Mm -hmm. and and feel less isolated um, that made me want to pick up that accent a little bit more. If I'm with my parents, I speak in an Indian accent. Even if I'm saying something in English, I'll say it with the Indian accent.
0: How do you feel about your authenticity regarding your accent? So,
1: it's hard because if I think about how I identify as, I mean, yes, I identify as Gujarati and Indian, but I also identify very much as an American. And so in many ways, that accent feels very true to who I am and what I am. And I feel proud to be able to speak to my parents in a way that they would understand and not it's not a caricature it's just how i do it and i and talking to my brother and switching back and forth like i'm proud to have that diversity and i think that is who i am like that's the authentic me and so like it doesn't mean i'm not authentic if i have this accent or this accent Mm -hmm. it's because i have both and that's my background and i feel comfortable with it uh there are times when i feel like if it comes across to someone that I'm not being authentic because I'm speaking with an American accent, then I feel a little bit sort of um, sometimes judged by that. Like if I go to an Indian restaurant and I'm ordering something, and if I switch to Hindi and then they're like, but you're speaking in this, you know, completely American accent. And Mm. I feel sometimes
0: I'm being judged and that doesn't feel that great. Alpa was born in Sudan. She grew up in Dubai and Jeddah, spent her summers in India, studied in phoenix and now lives in seattle where is home for alba
1: it's always hard for me to think about home i used to say well like when i was in phoenix i'd be like oh i'm going home and you know for for summer people would be like oh dubai no 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 jeddah dubai is home home and then i think of like india is it home 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 or what if anything you know if i were to go back it would be going back to dubai which i would not do because I don't like what it's become. It's very different from when I grew up. It doesn't even feel like the same place anymore. Um, It always feels like Vegas. There's no soul to the city anymore. And then, you know, I think of my other home as Phoenix, which I go back to visit my brother all the time. Um, But no, I think for me, like Seattle is home. That feeling that I've had in multiple places in Seattle, if I think back nostalgia-wise, I can only remember that feeling once or twice in Dubai, you know, Mm. like that feeling of connectedness with the place you're in. Because even when we were in Dubai, we were still not natives. You know, there was never that complete sense of belonging that you have. Um, Because my parents always were, you know, would go back to India every year. And and in India, I was never, I never belonged because I didn't, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up there. Um, So I think Seattle is one of the few places that I felt that sense of belonging.
0: So what makes you feel like you're at home?
1: Being with Doug, the place we live in right now, um, I think makes there's a lot of things about it that make me feel sort of rested, content, you know, being able to look out and see trees and green and have quiet, and hear the crickets, so hear other birds, um, and just a feeling of uh, solitude that I can get when I'm home, I feel like it's a way to you know, make
0: like my own nest where I can shut down from all the stuff. Around me, Alpa Dave, product manager, actress, performer. This week as part of Roti Kapra Armakan, we bring to you a short essay based on real life experience of a new immigrant. Titled Subway Written and Performed by Gauri Shringarpre.
2: It was two months since I moved to the USA. They spoke English here or so I was told, the very language I had been speaking all my life back in India. Yet, there was always something new to learn. Why even the language terms we never heard of back home. One such experience was the so-called Subway sandwich. I didn't know why the sandwich would be called Subway and the geek in me had to find out. I wasn't the impression it was called Subway or a sub because it looked like a submarine. No, apparently it was the sandwich you got in the New York subway. So here I was walking into a subway place just to grab a sandwich. I was told that unlike India, where you simply order a club or a chutney or a Bombay veggie, here you create your own. Oh well, how exciting. That can't be very hard. I knew exactly what I wanted in my sandwich. It was going to be chicken, tomatoes and cheese. Well, maybe some vegetables. So I stand there in line, all set to place my order and I told the person behind the counter, I'd like a sub with chicken, tomatoes and cheese, please. The dude looks at me and calmly says, why do we? I stood there patiently, without reacting. I was very sure he was calling out to his assistant, why do we, or whatever his name was. Living here for two months had taught me not to bat an eyelid at any name that sounded unusual. After all, my name must sound unusual to the people here. That's the very idea of a melting pot, right? Well, why do we didn't respond? And the subway man's effort to remain patient were beginning to show. He continued looking at me calmly and repeated somewhat slower, why do we? Oh, that was for me then? Okay, why do we? Um, I don't know, just because. Sheepishly admitted, I didn't know. He decided to give it one more try and said, this time extremely slowly, why we sorrow? Why do we sorrow? Why we sorrow? I don't know. I don't have answers to this philosophical stuff, man. Please just give me the sandwich and let's be on our way. Yet, I said, I don't know, that's life maybe? I mean, why do we sorrow? No one has an answer to that. The man pointed to a chart on the side. It had the picture of several different kinds of bread. One said white, one said wheat, one said sourdough. Oh, white, wheat, sourdough, why wheat sourdough, oh. Well, to be fair, the first part of my answer was still correct. I did not know. Back home, we didn't have so many bread choices. There was just one bread, quality. Oh, white, I said, since that was the most familiar color associated with bread. I was so glad this embarrassing ordeal was over. I waited for my sandwich, only to be asked, Ho-ha. What? This time I knew better than to assume he was playing Santa. No ho ho ho. So I just said, ha, and I hope that was my correct answer. He seemed to take it. Hero to go. Dude, what? Hero to go. I don't know where the hero has to go. Just give it already. And again he says, hero to go. I gave up. I was getting late, I was getting hungry, I was getting cranky. I shrugged and I pleaded, I have to go, hint, please make it quick, I really have to go. Well, he seemed to understand, wow, it worked. It was only when I paid at the cash register did I realize that I had finally ordered a Subway sandwich with white bread, ha, as in half, not whole, and to go, not here. Well. High scores or not, no amount of GRE, TOEFL, and SAT could have prepared me for these many choices and the hero to go sandwich place vocabulary. That's the melting pot for you.
0: Next time on Roti, Kapra, or Makan, we talk to Ismail Mohammed, an entrepreneur, a community leader, and a man with immense appetite for learning. I hope you'll join us. Roti Kapra Armakan is produced by Studio Disha. Theme music by Mansoor Ahmad of Resonate Productions. Our podcast is brand new. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Like us on Facebook. If you have any story ideas or comments for Roti Kapra Armakan, email us at rkmpodcastgmail.com. At I am Rituja and thanks for listening to Roti Kapra or Makar.